0: Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a
1: home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Bonnie Benwick, uh, Deputy Food Editor and Recipes Editor of the Washington Post food section.
0: So you're the Deputy Food Editor and Recipes Editor of the Washington Post, where you've worked since 1989. How old were you when you discovered your love of cooking and cookbooks?
1: I think uh, cooking definitely when I was about nine years old, um, my mom was a nurse, and so she wouldn't be at home when I came home from school. There was an afternoon help to sort of, you know, it was like a not quite a babysitter, not quite a, a, a maid type person, but just someone who was around because it made my parents feel better about that. But my mom would leave instructions or she would call me from the office and say, take this out of the freezer. She was a big freezer cook, Uh, you know, defrost vegetables, put them in a pot, do this, do that. So I was kind of her prep cook from very early on. I remember when I was nine, I also had my first experience with a pressure cooker. You know, those scary kinds with the thing and reports of things (laughs) landing on the ceiling, which never happened to me, by the way. Um, But my uh, my father really liked tongue And that's kind of one of the scummier things to cook in a pressure cooker, I think. But I was all in, and that was my job. Also made borscht for him. He came home almost daily to have lunch, and borscht was his thing. So um, between that and whatever, you know, I was totally just in love with making things in the kitchen. Creative and fun, and you get to eat it. And cookbooks, I think I... It's a little harder to pin down for me. Um, My mom had an old settlement cookbook that we might talk about later um, that she got when she was married. And I used to look through that a lot and sort of ask her questions. But she wasn't really a cook-by-the-book kind of a person. And I had an aunt who devised her own recipes and everything that she made, she would label it with, you know, Aunt Sally's best blueberry muffins, Aunt Sally's best lemon pancakes, you know, so I just thought naturally everything she made was the best. So that was kind <laughs> of a segue to looking in books that had really good recipes. And I guess I, you know, I landed in this, I, I've been, that's a scary number, 1989, isn't it? I, I you know, <laughs> I came to the to the post section, to the Washington Post part-time and then went full-time when my kids got a little older. And... I've been in the food section for almost half that time that I've been at The Post, and that's really where I wanted to be. And so luckily, I've just landed in this job where I get to look at cookbooks, all the cookbooks I want all the time, and talk
0: to the people who put them together, which is always kind of a little thrill for me. In the first line of your December 11th piece in The Washington Post, you wrote, To be honest... We compilers of best of lists are never quite sure about what you, dear readers, want most from the cookbook division. Could you take us through the process? Like how many cookbooks do you start with usually? And what's the criteria?
1: Well, as you know, since you have a cookbook podcast, you know, they tend to come out in publishing clusters during the year. There's kind of a spring graduating class and, there are some in the summer that have to do with summer cooking and grilling, but the fall is really, you know, heading into September. That's really the big crush where um, people tend to remember books most and give them as gifts. And, te- you know, book reviewers like myself will test out of them quite religiously because we get these advanced copies, galley copies way in, mm-hmm. you know, way ahead, months ahead of pub dates. So I try to remember the ones that come earlier in the year. Um, but people tend to hold off and really wait. You know, the, the big crush of them, like I said, is that, is that fall time. So I, I think I must look through several hundred books a year. I mean, I don't obviously get to write about all of them. Um, but I can sort of see a little bit about, you know, trends in publishing and what people were after. It wasn't hard to spot the dozens and dozens of Instant Pot titles this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, cl- you know, you know, Whoa. so uh, specific that it got down to like six ingredients in 20 minutes in your, you know, so-and-so kind of Instant Pot. Uh, you know, it was just like every, you know, and I think it's going to keep coming, by the way. Um, but then the next sort of round, the books that I tend to stockpile on my desk or under my desk or in a special closet that we have, you know, I'll put post post post-it notes. I'm a post-it notes person. So I'll sort of tag recipes that I'm interested in. And if a book is kind of, you know, got a hefty number of them, I set it aside for a possible best Mm -hmm. of the year and try recipes. You know, you also probably wouldn't be surprised to learn that not all recipes and cookbooks work very well. Yep. Exactly. Um, Yep. For one reason or another, so we just make sure that, you know, a book that I recommend to people, I've sort of been through and spot tested enough that I feel confident that they, they get good use out of it. I, I also tend to like a practical, you know, I tend to recommend a, a practical book, um, something that I think people will, you know, not just, you know, it's not really based on a trend or anything, but it's something that actually teaches them something. Uh, you know, kind of a life skill, like a, a bread book, for example, a bread baking book. Um, they've just gotten much better at describing things and at giving you step-by-step photos and of sort of eliminating a lot of the anxiety in that process, I think, for a lot of people or the trying to eliminate, you know, what seems like a long time and a hard work and this and that and the other thing. So.
0: I find I'm super interested in the story. If the cookbook comes with like a story of a region or a culture. You,
1: you mentioned that you liked the, uh, your Nick Sharma's season was your, is your favorite of this year. Yeah. So I I think a lot of what his success was, I mean, he had this column in the Chronicle, but other than the kind of beautiful brown hands photography, uh, that he did that had such depth to it, I think um it was not only the cuisine that he was cooking but the story of his life and what food means to him, and you know what goes into it when he's when he 's cooking um don 't you think
0: it was so heartfelt and so real and so honest, and I think it 's a story that we haven 't heard before that 's what got me yes, yes,
1: it seems. You know, this year there were more voices, Uh, you know, uh, I, I went for, I I always try to have a more inclusive list in my list of the year, best of the year list tend to be longer than everybody else's. You know, I know I was kind of complaining about how could I narrow it down, but it seemed to be echoed in several other end of the year lists that I've seen so far. You know, it's like they're all, cookbooks are just getting better. You know, it's not necessarily that they're getting edited better, but we're just hearing from more voices. And there are more cuisines out there that are more accessible to people because of the way we shop or available things online or, you know, that we're also interested. There are more people who are reading cookbooks for the stories they tell, not just for recipes that they give you.
0: So can you describe the overall quality of cookbooks released this year? I I was pretty impressed. I, I
1: mean... Even the Instant Pot books, they you know they went after trying to show you specifically the, the I, what I think is the cuisines that call for a lot of long slow cooking: Mexican, Indian, you know, um, even French. You know, all the, the braises that that happen in French cooking uh, just translate really well to the Instant Pot. But you have to know what buttons to push and how long to do certain steps and you know, the fact that you can saute chicken before you stew it, you know, for minutes instead of hours, that kind of thing. Um, So I thought that that was was pretty good. And there's also those, you know, books like um, the Japan book that I I, uh, recommended was just kind of, to me, a really beautiful attempt at picking and choosing Japanese recipes that are not intimidating, that don't call for a lot of ingredients that don't have you making your own dashi every five minutes, although there is some of that. But I just thought it was a a kind of a beautiful attempt at, and this has nothing to do with, you know, appropriation culturally, but uh, the author, uh, Nancy Hachisu had lived there long enough that she was able to sort of study the cuisine and cook with different Japanese cooks and chefs so that I felt like the she had that Western sensibility to sort of translate and, and explain those recipes and choose the ones that, we, that she thought that would appeal to people like me. Um, so it's, if you've been to Japan, if you're in love with the culture, if you like that way of eating, I, I thought it was a really nice entree. Plus, it's, it's just kind of a beautiful kind of a beautiful book.
0: Yeah, I find that all fight-on books are beautiful, like coffee table books. So it's interesting to hear how that cookbook kind of rose to the occasion for you, because sometimes I feel like they aren't really that practical, that they're more pretty to look at.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they care about the sort of packaging of the thing. Um, And usually there's some, you know, I wouldn't call it a marketing device, but there's something about the way that they Present the material, and there's always like so many recipes in every Biden book, right? I mean, they're like um, a million, yeah. um, Yeah, and that you can't really sometimes, you know, it's like unless it comes with one of those little ribbons, like how are you going to keep that open? You know, it's just so well, some of them come with two ribbons. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) I remember Spanish (laughs) foods or something from years ago, yeah. But I, I, again, I, I, it's not like I've cooked out of a lot of them and so this was a a bit of a surprise to me. I mean they always look really pretty, but I think they unless I I'm, you know, totally wrong about this. It seems like those are kind of giftable. Is that a word that's not yeah. a word. Yeah, I think um, it is a word. They they're good they're good for gifts. They're they're, you know, it's a it's a book that you present to somebody else. I'm not sure that I've ever seen one uh that someone has just you know, demolished by cooking through it and breaking the spine and doing stuff like that. So, coffee table sounds about right.
0: Cookbook sales soared twenty five percent this year. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, you know, I uh, my editor Joe Yonan and Kathy
1: Barrow, who is the author of Pi Squared, who is also on my list, and she's a columnist for us and a friend of mine. Full disclosure: uh, she lives in D.C. We're talking about this recently, and. I think that number might be a little skewed by, you know, the overall sales, but uh, the book that's really crushed everybody else, and I'm talking Otto Lange and Ina Garten and Dory Greenspan and all the people that you think sell really, really well. I mean, you know, 10 times over their heads, five times over their heads is the Joanna Gaines Magnolia Table. That really? you looked
0: through that? Yeah, I've oh, just yeah. flipped through it. Wow.
1: Well, I mean, it's part, it's almost like food is an afterthought to this empire that she and her husband and their multiple, multiple children have built. You know, it's that lifestyle branding, I think, that, you know, maybe she took a page from Gwyneth Paltrow or something, but it really seemed to click in. I mean, she's, she has far outstripped Pioneer Woman. I mean, a distant second, a distant second, she is. Uh, but uh, I think Joanna Gaines, I think for uh just fall numbers for her. I heard something like
0: she had sold a million copies Wow! just, just since September.
1: Yeah. People love her. That's crazy.
0: They make pilgrimages yeah, to that darn place in Waco that they have.
1: Yeah, I think she sort of made it a whole, you know, revitalized the industry and more power to her. I just, I... I don't know really where her recipes come from. I haven't researched it enough, and I haven't really cooked out of the book, although it's on my desk at work. And I, I feel like I need to give it a shot because people are buying it for some reason, right? But that, you know, that alone, I think, has sort of skewed the overall numbers. If you look at uh, Publishers Weekly um, you know, stats, it, it, it tends to be you know
0: not that much different from last year. You know, if you take her off the top, so in the same vein, I'm. Um, it's no shocker that I'm not a fan of celebrity cookbooks. So tell me about <laughs> Cravings, Hungry for More, Chrissy Teigen's latest cookbook. That was on your list too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the thing about her is, I I think she's I think she's funny, and she and I do believe that she likes being in the kitchen. Um, but the thing that she was really <laughs> smart about is she, she got a very smart recipe developer. A, a Dina great Sussman. Yep. Absolutely. Don't we love her? We love we her. We love her. And she, right. So, you know, the recipes are going to be okay. And, you know, and it looks like, it sounds like by all accounts, they have a really good time when they're in the kitchen together. Um, so, you know, plus she's kind of, you know, I'm a little bit of a, an evangelist in that if Chrissy Teigen has made it easier for some people to do more cooking or to, you know, see that there's a simple joy in it, um, then I, you know, I, I, can, I can go there and it just so, you know, she, she even included, I came across one recipe in her book that she said, you know, that the head notes really are kind of entertaining as she is, um, that she said something like, yep, this this recipe was in the last book. It's so good. We put it in here again, you know, sue me. And it was just like, you know, it's just kind of a whimsical thing. She can do it. She's a super celebrity star, mom, whatever, you know, so I, I, I don't know. It just kind of tickled me.
0: I went to the book launch that she did with Twitter here in New York City. It was packed. The line was out the door and people were just excited about her food, about listening to her talk. She has a whole thing like Joanna Gaines going on too. Yeah, has she
1: yeah, does she have her own lines of lamps and sheets and towels and stuff like that though? I, I don't know if she's gonna do that.
0: I think she has her own line of um like pots and pans at Target. Well, yeah so there you go we're just envious we, we want our own line of <laughs> we're just bitter too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm you know like I said I'm 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 happy for her and I you know at least in celebrity cookbooks for sure you're gonna you're gonna come across what 20 25 pictures of them in the pages of the cookbook but hers are you know they're obviously staged and they're they're funny I mean plus she's you know she's kind of beautiful, so uh,
0: you know it's like uh, something for everybody to look at so on to Nigella, it's her twelfth cookbook. What was special about this one at my table?
1: yeah, so uh, I you know up front, I have to disclose i'm I'm a total anglophile, and I usually during the year, you know i I troll BBC food, I read the columnists i I'm in love with Diana Henry uh, I've, you know, ever since Nigella's first book, it seems like I've been following her. I worked, I think when the first one came out, the domestic goddess one, um, the, I was working in the uh, commentary section, the outlook section of the post. And it just so happened one of the editors had gone to Oxford with her and was a roommate with her for a time. And so she sort of told me this story about how Nigella used to throw these dinner parties all the time when she was in college. I mean, it, it seemed authentic. It seemed like her love of food and the fact that she was kind of this homegrown cook, not a chef, you know, um, was doing her own thing. And she's got such, um, such a love of, you know, she, she, she's such a good writer. I, I love the way that she plucks words out of the air that she'll call something squidgy and she makes it sound like a million bucks. she, she does have kind of an economy of language when she's writing recipes and headnotes, but they, they tend to conjure these images that are, you know, that you get. And, and I, I just like that. She's keeping on keeping on. So it seems when a new book of hers comes out and they haven't all been fabulous. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of Nigel Lissima, whatever, you know, her take on Italian food and stuff, but I, I do, I just appreciate that she's still around and still, doing her thing so well.
0: I used Did to love like that her? show. Yeah, I loved her show. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. What yeah. was it called? Something nice. I don't know. But uh, she was a lot curvier. Yeah, she was in the kitchen. Yeah, it was. Yes. And she and she loved to but eat. She's also had this. Yes. Yes. You know, that sort of late night thing in the fridge was just kind of genius, right? Yes. I mean, who, who else? was We doing all do that? that. Yeah. I was so excited to see seven of the cookbooks on your list were featured on my podcast this year which is super exciting. Well, don't we have good taste? Wait, look <laughs> at us. So what about Secrets of the Southern Table by Virginia Willis? Talk a little bit about that. Have you ever met or, or been in her presence? Yeah, she was on my podcast. Oh, that's great. That's great. How long ago? She kicked off season four in September. That's really great. I I,
1: I totally admire her. Um, we I've known her for a long time. She has these kind of bona fides that I really admire. She, she, um, she's a trained chef. You know, she did the French thing, classic French training thing. But she also, very early on, got into the business of making it accessible for people through television. She worked at Martha Stewart. She worked at the, you know, elbow of Natalie Dupree. She learned how to present food to people in a way that I think is not so chefy even though she's a very, very, very good chef. Um, and I, she understands how real folks cook. And in this book, she was explaining uh, origins of Southern food in a way and did a lot of research and traveling around for it that I'm sure she told you about. Uh, one story that I was particularly taken with was this uh, almond pudding this um, that you make very simply with almond milk and gelatin and... You know, it's a Southern thing, but it was actually Chinese. So she explained how the Chinese people sort of, you know, came to the South and how they learned to cook and how their traditions sort of got melded into Southern culture, which I, which I really hadn't read much about. So I appreciate the fact that she, you know, did the homework and is passing along information like that. For me, it enriches, like you said, it enriches the story of a cookbook, don't you think?
0: I learned so much from that cookbook. I think she needs to do like a companion PBS series just on what she learned traveling around in the South, the history of food in the South.
1: That would be great. She's really great on television. Plus, I mean, if you talk to her for three minutes, I I end up sort of saying, well, hey, you know, picking up her Georgia accent. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She's just great. And plus, Years and years and years ago, she did a Thanksgiving menu for us that included her mom's pecan pie. And Joe and I think it's the best one. It, all, it holds up year after year. It's the best recipe we've ever made. The sort of ratio of goo to nuts is perfect. And also this blackberry cobbler, which is kind of genius, that she does in a skillet. Very, very easy, you know. Pour in the batter, pour in the fruit. It just, it's kind of a perfect recipe. They, I think it got included in the Genius Desserts book by Kristen Milgore this year.
0: I'm going to have to look up that pecan pie recipe because I always find that there's more goo than pecans and it always makes me mad. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But this is, I'm telling you, this is, this is the way to go.
0: So I love Jessie Sheehan and that darling cookbook, The Vintage Baker. With all of the baking books on the market, why this one? I just thought it was sweet. I mean, she doesn't overreach. I like the fact that it wasn't, you
1: know, 800 recipes. And I, again, I like her sort of, uh, you know, where she's been baking and how she, you know, learned it. Um, she, but in this one, you know, you sort of, you're tricked a little bit. It said vintage baker, but she's applying modern methods and tweaking, you know, very traditional recipes in a way that I think makes them you know, reintroduces them to us. And so I appreciated that. And I, I just think she has a nice feel for things. She doesn't make things too fussy, don't you think? And yeah, yeah, she
0: is modern. Like you feel like you're going to be flipping through grandma's baking book with her, you know, refrigerator cakes, but it's not, it's so modern. I think she's onto something. I mean, I, I,
1: I tend to lard this end of the year list with a lot of baking books. Could you tell? I mean, I, <laughs> I do, I like all forms of cooking and baking in the kitchen, but really baking is, is is kind of my jam. So when they come out in full force, all the cookie books and the... There were fewer cake books this year, I noticed. I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: What is one cookbook trend or type of food you'd like to forget in
1: 2018? <laughs> uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Cauliflower. Thank I, you. I, I've, nev- I've never liked it, and it turned into... Just just this year, it turned into flour and rice and uh, microwave little cup things, you know, where normally they would have some starch, they used cauliflower instead, which must smell so horrible to me from the <laughs> microwave, I can't even tell you. They they made cheese crackers out of it, like fake cheese crackers those out of it. Those are awful. And even, and even ice cream.
0: Have you had those? Yeah, they sell them at Trader They're Joe's. Cauliflower. They're awful.
1: Uh, oh,
0: please. I, I really... I just, I, I would like that
1: to go away. What about kale? Kale doesn't bother me. I, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it got overworked a little bit, but I think it's, you know, it's sort of settled back down into a happy place where people just aren't writing about it, but I think they're still using it. You know, I like a good massage kale salad. I like the way that it's a rich green. I like the way that it's kind of a hearty green that will hold up in a soup you know, I like kale better than chard, I think. So for those, like, Italian wedding meatball soups and things, I you know, I, I started using kale in it, and I, I, I
0: like it. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, Mimi Sheridan. <laughs> you know who Mimi Sheridan is? Oh, yeah. She hates kale. Hate, hey hate, hates it. She hates maple syrup. She hates everything. She's funny. I
1: love She's funny her. funny when she hates it. She, yeah. actually, she actually wrote this essay for us on why she hates it. The Taste of Maple she just gets overused this time of year. You should look it up. It's, it's very funny. <laughs> and she got so, you know, I mean, talk about clickbait. Everybody was just, what are you talking about? And now every time we use maple in a thing, we're like, sorry, Mimi.
0: <laughs> what is one trend you see on the horizon for 2019? Probably already uh, half trended out. Um, I Fried foods, maybe.
1: People are going to sort of rediscover them based on, uh, you know, the The retweeted food media seems to have picked up on the air fryer and they're all all over it. You know, they think that by spraying their foods with cooking oil spray and, you know, basically putting them in a convection oven, which is pretty much something you can do in a convection oven, I think, you know, is going to turn the tide. And so we'll have, you know, fried zucchini and sweet potato fries and fried cauliflower. Sure. All the time. There you go. uh, You know, at home. For me, it's, I, I, I'm not, but I think frying foods in general is something that people avoid maybe for the wrong reasons. I mean, they they say they don't want a lot of overused oil, but I, I have this theory that in the middle, in the vast middle of America, you know, take away the coast. Um, but I, I think people know how to fry. I, I think they reuse the oil and they strain it and reuse it. I think they once you get a feel for it, it's not like it's in there soaking up buckets and buckets of oil, you know, it's in, it's out. You have to know, you have to learn how to do it. Right. Again, it's this sort of thing where I think if you know how to do it, you're not going to buy an air fryer. And, and if you, you know, all the times that maybe you go out and you're, you know, guiltily ordering the French, you know, the fried mozzarella sticks or something, it, it's just kind of funny to me that it's, be, it's opened up this world of possibilities where there was a world of possibilities already there.
0: But I, I could be totally wrong about this, too. <laughs> we'll see. What cookbook is sitting on your bedside table right now? The one
1: that's on the top of the list is not a new book. It's an old book. It's a 2003 book called Cooking 123 by Roseanne Gold. Do you know it? No. Uh-uh. So she she's a... It, 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 it's like a game-changing book. It, it, it She glommed on very, very early to this, you know, it doesn't take a lot of ingredients. And if you want to get dinner on the table, I'll, you know, this is how you do it. So the one, two, three is a minimal amount of ingredients, but it's just also very easy steps. And I tend to, you know, have it on my bedside every now and then when I'm looking for inspiration for other, Um, you know, for my dinner and minutes column, which is like quick weeknight meals. And usually there's something in there that I can start tweaking or playing off of. You should look it up. She's, she's really, I mean, she, she's very, she's very good in a very, very simple way. She's one of those people that might be under the radar for people who aren't on the East coast, but I I have a lot of respect for her and what she's done. She's done several Cookbooks and that's nothing recent i don 't know if she does that anymore, but she was also um, i think a driving force behind the cookbook section that was donated or created or something for new york public library i'm getting that wrong for new york university oh um, um, yes i've I think been it's to that
0: fine collection or something have you the yeah. fails library fails that's it yeah
1: that's it it's yeah. incredible and then let's see something that I have current on here is a galley for, Oh, I guess the galley for solo, um, which was on my list.
0: Was that on your list by Anita Lowe? No, but I'm dying to talk to her. Yeah. I think she'd be a really good interview. She was, I remember, you
1: know, when she appeared on top chef, she was someone you wanted to listen to. Um, but her, you know, every couple of years, people remember that people aren't cooking for groups of twelve, and they come out with a cooking for one book um years and years and years ago. I think just after Joe had come to the food section, you know, we came up with the idea of a cooking for one column that he did for several years. Uh, we started off with um getting different cooking for one kind of constituencies to author it, like somebody who runs and eats food for fuel, basically. Uh, uh, you know, obviously someone who was a widower who hadn't been cooking and then just had to like start it up in his or her own life. And then Joe sort of glommed onto it and made it, you know, things that he likes to cook. And it it was very popular. So what Anita has done in the solo book is first of all, say, you know, it's not all about her being by herself because she is in a relationship, happens to be, but, Even if you're living with other people, every once in a while you cook by yourself. And these are, you know, sort of empowering recipes that she'll give you that, you know, you can treat yourself well without making a whole big deal out of it.
0: I think she lives in my neighborhood. And again, well, lucky you. I think. You should definitely get together with her. There was, uh, she had a restaurant a couple streets over. I cannot think of the name right now. But it closed and everyone was so sad.
1: Yeah, was it? Was it Anissa?
0: Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, I mean,
1: I mean sure. Her, her restaurant closed and everybody's sort of waiting to see what she's going to do now.
0: What is your favorite vintage out-of-print cookbook? Um, probably that
1: settlement one that I mentioned, uh, you know, just for sentimental reasons. The 1949 edition, again, was when my mom um, uh, got married. That was the year they married. My parents married. And I downsized... Uh, about six months ago and I had so many cookbooks that at some point I just thought uh, if it's in a box and I haven't looked at it in such a long time, I'm not even going to open the box. I donated about 12 boxes to uh, a a local DC organization that teaches cooking skills and also provides food for the city, uh, for city's poor residents. And, I gave it away. I don't have it. When I opened up the book oh, that no. I took with me to my apartment, it's gone, and I I feel kind of bad about that. But but you know she had she had oh. written sort of notes in the margins, and I I think I would just like it back in my life for for comfort. I I can see I, I've I've gone online before and looked for this edition, and it's hundreds of dollars. You know through some you know somebody who understands. You know how sentimental somebody can be about it. So it's it's really a you know it's very solidly about the memories and not so much about everything that we made out of
0: it. Well, it's interesting. Um, I was just uh, talking with Jan Miller, executive editor of Better Homes and Gardens cookbook yesterday, and mm-hmm. so many people feel the same way about their really old Better Homes and Gardens cookbook. It's like an old friend.
1: Yeah. It's a. Did they used to. The old ones used to have that sort of black and white, that, you know, that red and white gingham thing. Yep. Uh-huh. On the cover. And the yeah. tabs.
0: Yeah. Tabs. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. Aww. There were also those, there, were, there was a series of, uh, I think it was by Workman, those um, 365 Days of Chicken or something else books. I don't know if they're really out of print or not, but they were the same size and they came out in that same era that the Silver Palette came out in. You know, it's the yes. it's the paperback book, uh-huh. but it's that kind of longer size. That three hundred and sixty-five days of chicken, I think, might have been might have been in the same format as Better Homes and Gardens, where it had like a hard cover and you could open up the pages, but there were there were some pretty good simple chicken recipes in that book. I think I dipped in and
0: out of that quite a lot. That's another one that I let go. I have an oddball question. Why aren't cookbooks critiqued? They're book critics, but why aren't cookbooks critiqued? You and know, I should start something, Susie. You should. You're I, welcome. You know, no. <laughs> so, so um, kind of interesting.
1: I, I, think, I think, for one, if you're going to critique it, you, you, know, you can sit down even with a big fat book and read it, and then you're done. But with a cookbook, you, you really need to cook your way through it to critique it. Uh, honestly, uh, to assess its abilities. And then you have to weigh it against other cookbooks. And maybe people, some people just don't have the you know, historical background of reading so many cookbooks and working with so many. I used to write regular reviews of cookbooks uh, in earlier days of the food section. And then we had other people writing them And then we really didn't, we just stopped running them. And nobody said a peep. There wasn't one reader who wrote in and said, what happened to those cookbook reviews you used to have? No. When I went on social media and just asked for general feedback, not about us, but about in general, where did people read reviews or how do they know what cookbooks to choose? Overwhelmingly, they said they just read what's on Amazon. And I just thought, well, Who's writing those? You know, like you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, what pro is writing you know, it's, that? It's like the Yelp of, you know, cookbooks or something. I you know, it's like you 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 know, people find their names and they seem authentic, but you know, it could be Russian trolls for all I know. I I, I I don't even understand why that's a good thing to go by. And I think more than that these days, people probably just
0: gravitate toward best sellers, don't you? Definitely. I mean, mean, look at Joanna Gaines. So on every episode this season, I've been asking cookbook authors what their last meal would be. And so what would you have for your last supper? Uh, Well, it it would be
1: shrimp. It would be, I would have have different kinds of shrimp. I, I like the, you know, those pinky red ones from Maine that, you know, they can't seem to get out of the sea these days. Um, I like glass shrimp, which I've had, uh, you know, uh, kind of marinated a little bit as an appetizer. I, I like garlicky shrimp, scampi type stuff, really low brow, you know, basic stuff. I like just caught Gulf shrimp that have been poached in a court bouillon. And maybe I would just like dip it in aioli cause it would be my last meal. And I wouldn't care about anything that was happening to my insides. But I, I think I, I grew up in a in a kosher-eating, two sets of silverware kind of house. And so I, I think I must have been in high school or college the first time I really had shrimp. I just sort of went out went off the reservation, and I've never looked back. I never get tired of it. I can't eat too much of it. It makes me sad when it goes into the oven and comes out an hour later, and it's just dry and rubbery and horrible in a casserole or something. But I'll always, I'll always kind of give it a try. I like sucking heads out of shrimp. I mean, so there you go. Be full of shrimp.
0: Where can we find you on the web and social media? I would love for
1: everybody to come and chat with us online every Wednesday from noon to one EST at live.washingtonpost.com. We have an online chat called Free Range, and we have a lot of faithful followers and a lot of lurkers who can just look at the questions and answers afterwards. But it's a really fun hour. We have a uh, typically, if there's a guest who's written something, um, we'll have people on there. I had a lot of a lot of cookie experts on uh, the week that our annual holiday cookies issue came out, and that was fun. People have questions, and they sometimes they start with, "This is a really dumb question," but and I'm like, "There's no dumb question, you know." Just you know, it's all about being non-intimidating. Um, I also have a dinner minutes column. I've been doing a weekly quick meal column since, I don't know, maybe 11 years or so. Uh, And that now appears in our vertical called Voraciously. I don't know if you have seen it, but uh, it's about a year old, and you can get it through um, Eat Voraciously uh, or WashingtonPost.com slash food, and that'll take you to another link that you can get in. It's basically about non-intimidating, learning basic skills. It's brought in a whole new kind of audience for us, and I like explaining things. And in my column, I um, they've even come up with kind of a set pantry so that if you buy into the pantry and if you stock what I what I stock, then you'll never have to go shopping to make the recipe that I've given you for that week. So that seems to be good. On Twitter, it's just my name, first name and last name. And on Instagram, I'm B Benwick. I am not on Facebook. Uh, I got hacked a couple of years ago and never went back on. And now it doesn't seem like a really good thing to do, does it? Although I think Facebook has Instagram too, but I I don't share a whole heck of a lot of my personal life on Instagram, just uh, mostly things I eat and make.
0: This has been so much fun. Thanks, Bonnie, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you. It's been fun. Follow Suzy Chase on Instagram at cookerybythebook and subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book Podcast, the only
1: podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.